0: Hebrews said, "The word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, for it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires." In illustrating the truth of those words, Martin Dehan, who's the founder was the founder of the Bible Radio class, once told the story of a woman on her deathbed as she described how she came to know the Lord. Many years earlier, she said she received a package from a friend in Australia. When she opened it, she found that the friend had used a bunch of old, crumpled newspapers to wrap and cushion the things in the box. And as she was pulling out the papers, one of them caught her eye, and it turned out it was an old, printed sermon by the famous preacher Charles Spurgeon. Curious, she started to read it and quickly became convicted by the message, and by the time she finished reading, she had given her heart to the Lord. Dehan said, the sermon was preached in England, it was printed in America, it was shipped to Australia, sent back to England as wrapping paper, and where a woman read it and committed her life to the Lord." For the word of God is alive and powerful, even when it's printed on old newsprint used to stuff a box. As we continue to look at the word-centered life, we do so from the standpoint that there is power in God's word that defies human understanding and explanation. And as helpful as the findings from groups like Barna, Research Group, Pew, Gallup, can be to understand our culture, current trends, and values, what we believe must be based not on surveys and public opinion polls and social scientists, but God's word. Truth is not a popularity contest. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthians the message of the cross, literally the logos the word of the cross is foolishness to those headed for destruction but we who are being saved know it is the very power of god one of the primary ways we come to know through which we come to know and understand who god is what he's like how to get to know him what he expects of us is through the written word because as jerome said so long ago in the 15 or 400s, ignorance of the word is ignorance of Christ. Now as far as the interdependence between the streams of spiritual formation we've been talking about goes, it is the word that gives meaning, eternal meaning to our compassion. So it's beyond just immediate needs and good deeds. It's the word that provides a grounding for our life in the spirit to prevent us from using God's name as a cover-up for our own desires and wishes. It's a check and balance on those who seek to justify their actions by saying, well, God led me to or told me to. It's the word that informs our holiness, which is based on the nature and character of God revealed in his words. For as the psalmist said, How can a young person keep their way pure? By living according to his word, or as one popular translation put it, by carefully reading the map of your word. It's the word that gives direction to our prayer. It helps us know how to pray so it's more meaningful than merely asking for things. And it's the word that provides the substance of incarnation. We become a living expression, an extension of God's word as Christ lives in and through us. But it's not just the written word we're talking about. As also mentioned last week, the word sent life ultimately is not about a book. It's about Jesus Christ, the living word of God, and building our lives on him. The real issue becomes, do you know him? Have you yet reached the point in your life when you realize you cannot save yourselves, you cannot, no can, do enough good works, that no matter how hard you try, you're still going to fall short, and therefore you realize you need a Savior, and therefore invite Him into your life and the salvation He offers. That's what the Bible is all about. Not learning information, but pointing us to Him, the living Word and in looking to Him, finding life and salvation that He offers. Theologian Donald Bloch wrote, The ultimate, final authority is not Scripture, but the living God Himself as we find Him in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and the message about Him constitute the material norm for our faith, just as the Bible is the formal norm. The Bible is authoritative because it points beyond itself to the absolute authority, the living and transcendent word of God. And as we talked a little about last week, and Andrew did such a great job with his poster, holding firmly to the word of life. Holding firmly, or to use the Psalmist words, hiding his word in our heart. We study it, we read it, we memorize it in an effort to get to know him. But all of that is really just one side of the Word centered life. There is more to it that we cannot ignore. Because it's not just about reading and studying and learning the written Word of God, it's not just about us and our growth and how we get to know God better. The Word is never intended to be something to be kept to ourselves or to remain quiet about. It's meant to be shared and broadcast far and wide. That's the other side of the word-centered life. In fact, that was one of the original purposes of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were writing as apologetics to defend and disseminate the faith. Proclamation is a major part of a word-centered life, which is why Richard Foster refers to this as the evangelical tradition or stream of spiritual formation. And for him, Billy Graham becomes the modern-day epitome of the word-centered life, knowing the word and then passing it on, the two going together. Because something we often don't realize is that we grow not just when we study and learn about Jesus, we grow as we help others hear about him as well. Not only will people not hear about Jesus if we don't say anything, There are areas of our lives where we will not grow and mature either because of that. Paul told Philemon, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you may have full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. He told the Romans, The word is near to you. It's not just in your heart, it's in your mouth. And that's the word of faith we're proclaiming. It's something to be spoken Last week, I shared a little about the story of Augustine and one of the greatest thinkers in church history. His was a life transformed by the word, hearing it in that Milan garden, take up and read. And as great as a thinker as he was, he wasn't bound to his desk or to his books. He was a master of the spoken word who said, preach wherever you can, can, to whomever you can, whenever you can. But this is an area we often can fall short, and instead we keep quiet about it and we keep it to ourselves. In spite of the fact that Jesus commanded, go into the world. Not just into your churches, but into the world and make disciples or followers of all nations. Not just by baptizing them, but by teaching them to observe everything he had instructed us. Teaching them his word. And in referring to that passage, Richard Foster wrote, We cannot preach the good news and be the bad news. We are to step into the life of the Gospels and do what they did and live as they lived. And as we take the words of Christ into our hearts, those around us will begin to see the transforming power of God in us and begin to say, we need to get in on this. What we're offering the world is life as it was meant to be. Because remember, we're calling people not merely to accept a set of beliefs about Jesus that will somehow trip the divine lever and get them into heaven when they die, We're calling people to turn to Jesus as their life, inviting them to believe in Jesus by becoming his disciples and enroll in his school of living, to become trained in the way, taking on Jesus' hopes and dreams and longings and habits and abilities. And in so doing, that's how we learn to obey all that he's commanded us. The word becomes something then that we read, and we learn, and we believe, and we live, and we proclaim. In the book of Acts, we see that when the church failed to proclaim it, when they withdrew into themselves in Jerusalem, instead of going into all the world, instead of being his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth, that it says in Acts 1 it says they withdrew. They kept to themselves in Jerusalem. In Acts 8, it says that a great persecution broke out, and it took that to get the church outside of itself and scatter it, such that in chapter 8, verse 4, it says that those who were scattered began to proclaim the word wherever they went. It took trouble to realize that they and others were missing out by keeping it to themselves. You know, in the early church, early centuries after Christ's resurrection, there was a movement within the organized church that was very powerful, very popular, very influential, and yet today we would classify it as a cult. At one point, there were so many followers of that that it was threatening to take over and redefine the very nature of the Christian faith according to their views, And central to the views of these was the belief that before Jesus ascended into heaven, he had secret information to pass on, secret knowledge. And so he chose a group of select individuals to pass on these secrets to. It was knowledge not for everyone, but for the initiated, the chosen ones who were special. The Greek word for this secret knowledge was gnosis, by which they got their name Gnostics. And it was the threat of these who believed in a secret knowledge that gave rise to the early councils of Nicaea and Constantinople and Chalcedon in the 4th, 5th, and 6th century that gave us, ultimately, the definition of what is God's word that defined many of the teachings that we hold to today. But if we keep God's word to ourselves, if we don't talk about it to anyone outside of the church building, if we're not bearing witness to what we believe and the salvation we've experienced, how are we any different than that, than believing we have some secret knowledge the world doesn't have? That it's for us here rather than those outside? God doesn't give us his word just for our own benefit, to keep to ourselves like some secret information. But it's through his word we acknowledge we are not special we are not better or more privileged, but rather we confront, are confronted by our sins and our freedom, and we find freedom. It's the word-centered life that acknowledges that, that acknowledges his words meant to be shared. So Paul says, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of those who bring, literally who proclaim good news. One writer put it well when he said, to make his point, Jesus used a number of metaphors to describe our mission mandate. Metaphors such as light and salt and leaven. And while these may seem very different from one another, they share the same message of penetration. Light exists to penetrate the darkness. Salt exists to penetrate the meat. Leaven exists to penetrate the dough. And we exist to penetrate the world. Proclamation of the good news is essential to a life centered on the word. The mission mandate is fundamental. Theologian Emil Brunner said the church exists by mission just as fire exists by burning. And when you read the gospels, Jesus came not just to give his life, but in places like Mark one thirty-nine and 6.6 and Luke 13.22 and Matthew 9.34 and a host of other places, it repeatedly says that Jesus went throughout the towns and villages teaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And then before he ascended into heaven, he told his followers, now you go and do the same thing. You shall be my witnesses. A witness is someone who simply shares what they've learned, what they've seen, what they've experienced. And the book of Acts is a testimony of how they started to do that. Writing about that, 1 John 1 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This is what we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and we testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this to make our joy complete. He's simply saying we're bearing witness. We're being witnesses to this experience we've had. You know, after playing golf this, the other day, and I'm sorry, Noma, I'm going to use you as an example, <laughs> we stopped to grab a bite, of eat, bite to eat, and as we finished lunch, Noma got in a conversation with the waitress about the movie Guardians of the Galaxy that she had just seen, and the waitress had just seen. There wasn't any bit of hesitation on either one of their parts to start talking about that movie. There wouldn't have been any hesitation to talk with someone who hadn't seen the movie and encourage them to check it out. Shouldn't that be the way it is with Christ, that we're free to talk about him, encourage others to check him out? We have no trouble talking to people about a movie we've seen, or our favorite TV program, or the UH game, or our grandkids. Why are we hesitant to talk about the God who saves us? Jeremiah said, If I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut, up, fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Or to put it in a different context, for those of you who are into social media, people are posting all sorts of selfies, pictures of themselves on sites like Facebook and Instagram, Instagram. Some post pictures of what they're eating for lunch or breakfast or dinner, post pictures of their pets, maybe some activity they're participating in, something they've thought about. We broadcast far and wide through social media. Do we broadcast our Savior in that way? Do we post thoughts about Him or pictures that we've had that are meaningful about what God is doing? Or comments about where we've seen God working today? I have a friend on the mainland who has started a new church in Southern California. Their primary means of communication and reaching out to people outside the church is through Facebook. When the church has an activity or an event, they post pictures, and then the members begin liking it so that their friends can see what they're liking and check it out for themselves. That's become their most effective means of reaching out beyond themselves. The word-centered life is a life founded upon Jesus, the living word, upon the Bible, the written word, and the gospel, which is the proclaimed word. And the good news is that all people, all people can enter into a living relationship an abundant life with God, here and now, that life that continues beyond death. The good news of the kingdom is that the doors are thrown wide open. The good news is that Jesus, that in Jesus, the kingdom of God's love has been made available to all. And the good news is that whether it's a tax collector named Zacchaeus or a woman, set free from seven demons named Mary Magdalene or a fearful religious leader in the dark of night named Nicodemus or an unnamed woman with a checkered past at a well in Samaria or a Syrio-Phoenician woman desperate to get help for her demon-possessed daughter or a group of mothers seeking the blessing of Jesus for their children or a thief hanging on a cross or you and I, whenever, wherever, whoever can come freely and confidently before the throne of grace. That's the gospel, the good news. The word's clear. We receive and we proclaim the message of hope from the very one who declared, "Before Abraham was, I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good sh- shepherd. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true words, the true vine." In other words when he's saying I am he's saying I'm all you need. And I've thrown open the gates wide. We enter and receive God's love and grace. The scripture says in the verse we quoted earlier by grace through faith we begin to follow. And it's that message that's the foundation of the word centered life. It cannot be kept to ourselves it's meant to be shared. But first, we have to accept it. So as I mentioned earlier, the key question is, Has have you accepted it?